this message is going to be called That's On God. I unashamedly stole the message from Kanye, uh, unashamedly stole it from his, his uh, song, That's On God. Go give it a listen. I absolutely love the song. Um, but uh, I think it's, it's a really important thing for us to remember in this time and in this season. It's so easy for us to either get lazy or to try to work really hard. It's so easy for us to get wrapped up in our fears and our doubts and our worries. It's also, I think, really easy for us to slip into our old temptations again and, and, and begin to distance from God because now there's no one really keeping me accountable because I'm just at home. I don't have to go to church every Sunday. I don't have to get involved in small groups. And so it's really easy for us to fall into our old temptations and struggles and worries and fears. And I want to take the time to tell you that if Jesus Christ is living inside of you, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, you're going to get drawn. You're going to get drawn to doing his works still. Uh, just because we have to be in quarantine uh, doesn't mean that the church shouldn't still be the church. Amen. So I want to read a section of scripture, and I'm going to read a really old, familiar verse that I'm sure a lot of people have heard, but I want to look at it in maybe a fresh way. Uh, for those of you who've been following along with me in our daily devotionals, um, I talked about this. I pretty much said my whole sermon on day four. And so uh, if you haven't been listening uh, and joining us for our devotions, I'd actually love it if after this message you went back and you listened to our day four devotional, uh, because you'll probably hear things in this message that I didn't say in that day. But interestingly enough, there'll probably be things that didn't come up today that came up in that. So I would love for you guys to get a fuller picture on what it is that I'm talking about today. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to go to Matthew 25, and we're going to read verses 31 to 40. And we're going to ponder on that, and we're going to extrapolate maybe three things out of it. And so without further ado, I'm reading in the ESV version. I've got my fancy technical Bible with me today um, because I did a lot more notes than normal, and I didn't trust my memory on it. All right, so uh, uh, Matthew 25, verse 31 to 40. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Uh, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Um, and, you know, that could seem God's being too judgmental here, but God is a righteous judge. And at the end times, he really will separate his people from those who aren't his followers. And we see this happening right here. And, at, and he will place the sheep on his right, and he will place, this is my right hand, I think it's your left though, uh, but my right hand. He will place the sheep on his right, and he will place the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, that'll preach, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. You know, um, when Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for you, do you know that that place Christ had already prepared to have you there from before you were ever even born? Um, I think that's something so important for us to remember during this time, uh, that God across all time and across all space knew that you would be alive and a member of his church today in this day and age. And he built you with that in mind and he gifted you with that in mind. And I think that it's so important that the church should, shouldn't always be what yesterday's church was. We should always be evolving and adapting. Our message should never change, but our method should change constantly. Um, and in a time like this, uh, 
the church needs to be something different to help those who are lost and in need. And I actually think, even though I said don't be like the church of yesterday, I think God is drawing us back to an Acts-style church. Think about it. We're meeting in homes now. Uh, we can, we're not having super large groups. Uh, really, our ministries are just feeding people and meeting and having communion together. And it, it's, it's funny because all the extra fluff, all the extra show, there's no more room for it. And I think God's being intentional about it. And if I can be honest, I think this is a good thing that God is using even the coronavirus to get his church worldwide back on track with his plan for it. Because this was never about entertaining people. And it was always about glorifying God and spreading his message. And we have such a unique opportunity to be alive during a time where God is making such a drastic move. And I think that when God moves, the church should rise up and say, God, I'm going with you. I'm reminded of Moses when God said he wasn't going to, oops, my hair's in my face. Uh, when God said he wasn't going to go further with Israel, and Moses said, well, then I'm going to stay here, right? Moses goes, I'm not going to leave then. If you're, if you're not going to follow your people, then I'm not leaving either. I'm going to stay with you. And I think the church has to have a similar mentality uh, that, if God's not moving, we sit still. But if he's moving, which he is now, it's time for us to go. Amen. And I think it's time for the church to do something new. Uh, I, I saw a leadership team uh, conversation with a few leaders, not in our church, just like global church leaders. And the question was asked, do you think the church will ever be the same again? And I loved it. Every single person on that forum said, no, I don't think the church will ever be the same again. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And... Um, <laughs> it was so annoying. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I really fully believe um, that the church will never be the same again and that God is actually really doing something. Um, so, uh, from the foundations of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, I love this. They had no idea what he was talking about. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. I am not talking about giving today, but that'll preach. <laughs> if, if you have something to give, especially in this season, know that God takes it personally and that when you give and you help our church help others, God looks at you and he blesses you and he takes it as if you did it personally to himself. Now let's look at that from a different perspective. When people help you out, God thinks you are so important that when someone loves on you, when someone takes care of you, God takes that personally. He takes it as if it happened to him that's how important you are. God takes your inner moments. God takes your struggles. He takes your, your temptations and your doubts and your wins and your, your, from your greatest moment to your least moments. God takes those personally and he's with you in every step of the way. And so when you're in pain and someone hurts you, God takes it personally. But when someone blesses you, God looks to them and takes it personally and he blesses them as well. It's why as a church, we don't hesitate to help because we love being blessed. And we know the best way to be blessed by God is by giving. Amen. Now I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk about what I actually want to talk about. That's on God. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person in this room. Uh, God, I thank you 
Uh, and by every person in this room, I mean every person listening. <laughs> Lord, uh, God, I thank you because you're good. I thank you because you're just. I thank you because you're loving. I thank you because this season isn't a throwaway season of our lives, Father God, but it's such an important time that you're going to use to build your people, build your church, grow us into something bigger and greater than we ever thought we could be. God, I thank you that you're redirecting us, God. I thank you that you're creating something that will bring you glory, God, and I thank you that you've honored us and you've given us the opportunity to bless you, God and to be your hands and your feet here on this world, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you that whether our growths and our change and our salvation and all of our interactions with you were always established by you, that you always had your eye upon us, that you always loved us, that you always cared for us, and God, you walked with us even when we thought we were running from you, Lord. And in your mighty name, in Jesus' name I say, amen. Um, Have you ever met someone who takes responsibility and says they'll do something and then when they're not able to fulfill their obligation they try to blame other people I don't know if you've ever met someone like that or if you've ever done that to someone and I want to give you an example Uh, when I was growing up as a kid I got grounded a lot and when I say a lot I mean a lot now I'm not gonna say I didn't deserve it because I was kind of a menace and not even kind of a menace I was absolutely a menace it makes me laugh so much because I look at my little Titus and I always told my wife someday we're gonna have a kid and he is gonna be crazy and we're gonna deserve it because of me I don't deserve a good kid but my son is so sweet my son is so quiet my son is so calm and so happy I'm like what happened you know like God didn't that's mercy God didn't give me what I deserved he gave me a good baby but I was terrible um, and I got grounded a lot because of it and again I'm not saying I didn't deserve it I got grounded one time because I kept pooping my pants as a kid and I hid them under a dresser and then eventually what my mother and stepfather found them I got grounded for that absolutely deserved it uh, one time I took a red marker no it was a crayon and I colored all over the walls in my house and I got grounded for that, and I absolutely deserved it. Uh, one time, I, um, I kicked the wall because I was angry and put a hole in it, and I got grounded, and I deserved it. Uh, I did so many things. I feel like when I was younger, in elementary school, middle school, and like a lot of high school, I was grounded every other week. Every chance I got, I got in trouble. And so I'm not saying that I was an innocent child. I'm saying there was a time some specific times where I would get grounded and I did not deserve it. And I think back at them now, even as an adult, and you ever just get like mad all over again? And I'd be like, man, I didn't deserve to be grounded for that, right? And I'm still getting upset about it. So here's what happened. Um, I had a stepdad, I'll keep him nameless. And, and he was, he would always have me do chores and I hated doing chores. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a prima donna and I've kind of always been one. Uh, I became a, like a good worker later in my life. Uh, and honestly, a lot is it, of it is to do with him because he beat that, well, I'm an artist and I'm edgy. He beat that out of me, right? And he really worked that out of me. He made me mow lawns. He made me wash cars. Uh, you know, he made me go work at a packing house when I was like 12. And, um, and one time he asked me, he was like cleaning the freaking uh, lawnmower and he like did this like rev thing and he caused mud to splatter and he created like this pile of mud and it was disgusting and he asked me to clean it and I looked at him and I said but but you made this mess and he looked at me and I had the weirdest moment he looked at me and goes you're right I'll clean this up you can go play and I was like I win 
And so I ran, played with my friends. We had like toy guns and toy swords and I would, I would get all the kids to come into my front porch at my neighborhood and I would stand on the front porch and I would tell stories. And the kids would come and sit and they, I would hand them weapons and stuff and, and I'd hand them little things so they could act out the characters. And, and it's really funny uh, because I still do that, right? I'm, I'm, now all I do is I preach and people come and listen to me talk. It's kind of something I've always done. And then I came inside, yeah, you know, it was like a good day. Like I'm proud to be an American kind of day, you know, like man, I, I, I dodged having to do extra work. I had a great time. I killed the game. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna play some Xbox. I'm gonna fall asleep. It's just gonna be one of those days. Hallelujah, praise Jesus. And I walked in the front door and my stepdad and mom were sitting there waiting for me. And you ever just walk into a room and there's a chill and you know you're in trouble. I come home from, I come home a lot in modern times and I'll see my wife sitting there staring at me and I'm like, ooh, what's happening right now, right? Um, but this wasn't just my wife. Uh, this happens to me frequently. I'm kind of a space brain, heads in the clouds, and so I get in trouble a lot. Um, and so I came home and there was a chill in the room, you know, kind of like a, yo, who died kind of thing, you know? And then my stepdad looks at me and goes, you're grounded. And I was like, what did I do? I was so upset, but on the same note, like in the back of my head, I thought of the five things I hadn't been caught, up, caught from doing that week. So I was like, okay, play it cool. You can't reveal all of it or you'll get real grounded. What did they find out? And so I said, what happened? And my stepdad looked and said, because you left that muddy mess that I told you to clean. The, the level of anger that I felt in that moment, I can't even express. And I yelled. I was like, what? I didn't, you told me I didn't have to. And he goes, I never said that. And my mom, of course, wasn't there. And because I'm kind of a menace, she took his side. Clearly, Wesley's lying because I used to do that real bad. And he looked at me and he's like, go clean it. And then you're grounded for a week. And thinking back on it now, I still don't totally understand why that happened. But I have a thought. And here's my thought. My thought is, is that he had every intention of cleaning it. He started to clean it, realized he didn't want to, and instead of taking responsibility for what he said, he pushed the responsibility on me. And what he got out of it was, I looked bad, I had to clean it, and he got away scot-free. Um, and, and I think many of us can ex notice things, whether it's at job, at our jobs, or at our works, or maybe even in our marriages, where people say, or they'll claim, or they'll make promises and they don't follow through, or they have responsibilities and they don't follow through. And I can't tell you how many times I'll look at someone and be like, man, why won't you just take responsibility? Like, you don't even have to do it. Just admit that you're wrong. But he, no, I didn't promise that. No, you, you always, you never, you know, those kind of arguments begin to happen. Oh, but when you're like 10 and your stepdad starts yelling at you and grounds you, you don't get to argue, right? I had no ground to stand on. And so I just got grounded. And something that I think is so beautiful about our God is that our God is a God who always keeps his promises. See, we, we have this beautiful promise in scripture that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we can't deal with God. When God makes promises to us, we can't interact with him as if they won't happen. And I think a lot of people try to quote unquote help God. And we'll try to, God will make a promise and we'll think, okay, God made the promise. Now I have to go earn this promise. And that's just not the case. And see, like I'm saying in this message, no, that's on God. And when God makes promises, when God says he'll do something, it's on him now. Not because 
we're prideful and we're putting things on God. But because when God gives his word, you can count on it. Because our God is consistent and he is faithful. And our Bible says that our God is the God of truth. And so when he speaks truths, truths happen. Our God doesn't take things back. Our God doesn't doubt. Our God doesn't worry. Our God doesn't have fears. And he speaks certain things in our lives. And I think as a church, we can just take them to the bank. And if I can be totally honest, I think that some of the biggest struggles people have with dealing with Christianity, because Christianity is so dang simple. When God says things, they'll just be. And God came and God died for us. We don't have to work to God. God came to us. Only religion in the world that works like that. And it's just so simple. And the reason why every other religion works differently than that is because it's so counter to humanity. It's so counter human mindset. It's so counter human cultures. You look across all kinds of cultures, across all kinds of times, and they always had concepts of jobs, of work, of responsibilities, and there's a reason for that. We're built that way. But when God enters the fray and he makes promises, you have to know that those promises are as good as gold. Um, and so I want to take us back to the scripture that I've been that I read, and I want to take a couple points and notice it. Now, again, I think most people would preach this section of scripture, and they would use it as a message on we have to go out, we have to do, we have to give, we have to work because God brings the people into the kingdom who are brought into the king who who work. And what I find so funny about this is if you look, the people didn't even realize the work they were doing was getting them to the kingdom. The important thing to notice about the people's reaction in this section of scripture is they weren't working to get anything from God. These people's hearts were so changed by God that the work they did was just pleasing to him. And so how do we get from, I know this pleases God, so I need to do it, to looking like these people, where as we have desires in our hearts and we walk in them, we're pleasing God because we're so united with God. Well, I hate to break this to you, but actually, if you go to the Bible, God says the only way to have that kind of relationship with him is by him giving it to you. So the first thing I want to point out as we go is that in that verse we read, and I want to read it again. So in Matthew 25, if we go specifically to verse 34, we see, Then the king will say to those in his, on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Sometimes people get really uncomfortable by this truth. It's actually become an age-old debate in scripture. Uh, people argue back and forth about God's total sovereignty versus man's free will. And I want to inform you, regardless of which side that you're on, um, our God, first and foremost, is always in control. Uh, things don't surprise God. God has a plan from beginning to end. In Revelation, in fact, he says that he is Alpha and he is Omega. And um, the Bible says things that along the lines of Christ was crucified from the foundations of the earth. This means that our God's timeless. And even when the world was made, there was already an established point where Christ was crucified. And because God spans across all time, I think there was always some part of him that was always experiencing the cross on Calvary for us. Um, so I want to bring a verse to you guys. Uh, Psalms 64, verse 4. Uh, now, I want you to know really quick before I read this verse, um, I could have used about a thousand different verses. Actually, for every verse I read to you guys, without exaggeration, I probably erased about 20. I have never had so many scriptures for a single sermon before in my life, but it's because this truth that I want to preach on today is so across 
from Genesis to Revelation, it's so obvious, it's so in your face, that I could have picked a ton of verses. And so I'm trying to maybe pick some of the more obscure ones when I could have used more in your face ones. For instance, right now I could have used Romans, where it says those he foreknew, he called, you know, he predestined, and those he predestined, he called, and he justified. And I could have used that section of scripture, and it would have worked right here. But I maybe want to bring another one to you. And that's going to be Psalm 65, verse 4, that says, Blessed is the one you chose and bring near. So that's important. Blessed is the one that you, God, the one that you chose and brought near uh, to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house and the holiness of your temple. So those people that are satisfied by the goodness of God and who are made holy before his temple, those people are the people that God chose and God brought near. And so I really want to point out to you that that's on, on God. And so when you've come and you've accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, it's because from beginning of all time and beginning of all space, God peered through time, saw you, and said, I want this one. And, and uh, I know that can create some theological questions about what about the ones that weren't chosen and what about how does God, does that mean God hates these people? And I do believe there's an element of free will and I will probably preach a sermon on it later, but we're preaching on our relationship with God. And you have to know right here, right now, any good thing that happened between you and God may have been because you responded but you always responded to God's initiation. And God will always initiate first. You're not going in. You're not working for his acceptance. You're not working for his joy. He's initiating to you. And when you say yes, you are brought into a kingdom that he prepared for you from beginning of time. Here's why that's so important, especially during this time. God called you to be his even during this time. So when you're sitting here and be like, God, I don't know if you love me. God, I don't know if I'm saved. The reason why you wonder if you're saved is because you're too aware of your shortcomings. You're too aware of the things you feel about yourself, the things you say about yourself, what you feel about yourself. And I want to encourage you to erase all that because it doesn't matter. God didn't pick you because of the content of your character. He picked you because of the content of his. He's a God who loves. He's a God that cares. He's a God that's personal. He's a God that's intimate. And so not only did he call you, but he chose you for a time such as this. And so uh, what I, as we continue to read and as we continue to notice a section of scripture that could oftentimes be used to talk about your works, I want to use it to talk about God's works. And so we've talked about the fact that before you even chose God, God had chosen you. But let's dive into the next section. Um, I pointed this out earlier, but I would love to point it out again just one more time, church. Um, these people didn't realize what they were doing was being so closely watched by God. Again, they're like, God gives all these blessings. Said, well, you did this for me. You did this for me. You guys are so awesome. You did this and this and this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, uh, God, uh, not that I'm mad that you're saying this to me, <laughs> right? And again, I wouldn't question God on it personally. I'd be like, yep, amen, hallelujah, thank you, yep, absolutely. I did all those things for you. You're welcome, bro. But, you know, but these people are like, God, not to cut you off. I love you. I'm grateful for you. But when did we do those things? And God goes, oh, when you followed and you started to give, and you started to love on these people like I asked you to, suddenly you were doing it for me. And these people are like, what? And he says, now come into the kingdom that was set aside from you from the beginning. Uh, so here's the thing you have to realize as well. God not only called you from the beginning of time, but it's God that gave you the heart change in the first place. You didn't work 
for the heart change. And I know the Bible says to walk your salvation with fear and trembling. And again, I do think that's in response to the God that initiates. Uh, you will find nowhere in scripture that says that you can soften your own heart. You'll find nowhere in scripture that you can change your own heart. You can change on your own mind. You see verses that say renew your mind. Uh, but I think if you look at the context, it's really talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon you and changing your mind. And so I'd love to read you a couple verses. Verses 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Um, Jesus Christ, with his death, and with you being filled by the Holy Spirit, you get made into a new creation. And so what we're seeing is a shift. It's now, at first it was God calling you through time, and now it's in the moment, and it's personal, and you're changed. Um, notice, it, this isn't some kind of walk. This isn't some kind of, um, this isn't some kind of like, Oh, they worked and they became new creations. It says, no, anyone that is in Christ is a new creation. So when Jesus died for you, and as God says that he personally called you, when God made that move on your behalf and you said yes and the Holy Spirit came within you, you officially became a new creation. And if that's not enough for you, if we go to Romans chapter 9, verse 15 to 16, we see, for he says to Moses, and he is God, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Now hear this, church. Verse 16 is important. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. You, it's not because you wanted it. It's not because you worked for it. It's because God is merciful and God came to you. Uh, it's God who brings the change to our hearts. The, again, you have to look at the Bible. The Bible says that we're slaves to sin and death. The Bible says that the work, you know, like the wages of sin is death. And before you found God, you had already sinned. And so you were already worthy of death. The Bible says that our hearts, we were children of wrath. We were already so far from God. And so God says, it wasn't your will or your exertion that got you here. It's because I'm merciful and I love you. And again, if God's establishing it, God will complete it. And so something we have to begin to get into our brains is God called me. I'm just saved. God changed me. I'm just changed. Uh, I want to, uh, Charles Wesley, he's a famous psalmist. He's the brother of John Wesley. Uh, he, he wrote a hymn, and this hymn I quote often because this hymn really impacted my life. And it says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeons flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And I think Charles Wesley is really hitting on a really important thing with that, is that I was bound, I was chained, I was shackled, and God came in the room, and God set me free. And so when I rose and I walked and I followed him, it had nothing to do with my desires. It had nothing to do with what I had worked for. It had nothing to do with my talents or my gifts or my abilities. It had only one thing to do. It had to do with his love and his shed blood for us. God loves you. God has made a way for you. God has a plan for you. And God established the plan before you ever thought there was a plan for you. God established a plan before your great, great, great grandparents or even the apple or even a speck in the eye of their great, great, great grandparents. Um, God always knew you'd be here and God loves you. And again, it was God that established your heart change. 
And so when people say, I, I'll read verses to people and, you know, like, oh, if, here's how you know the Spirit's in you. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. People go, wait, I don't have those things. How do I, oh, man, i got to work harder. i got to do something. I've got to, and we start to shift into works mentality because we feel like we're not up to it. No, there is one answer and one answer alone is to go and be alone with the only person who will bring change to your life. And so with that kind of thought, I want to say that God not only established your heart change, but now he's going to guide you through life to live a life that's pleasing for him. And again, I'm not taking away your responsibility. I'm not saying you shouldn't go do what's right. But what I'm saying is when you do what's right, it's actually not because of your will. It's not because you did the right thing. It's not because you were so good. It's because God was good and he gave us the ability and he walked with us and he taught us. Um, I, I think for a lot of us who say, well, okay, wait a second. If that's how it works with God, how come I keep messing up? How come I keep struggling? How come I can't do what's right? And honestly, I think there's a couple points to this. I think the first point is, is because we're so acutely aware of our own actions that we're looking away from God and looking to our actions that unintentionally our actions become some kind of God to us. As in, if I act right, therefore it's proof that I'm saved. But that's what you're deifying your actions because you're only saved because of your God. And so if you try to attribute your salvation to anything else besides God, you accidentally idolize it. You accidentally deify it. You accidentally make that thing the most important thing in your life. And so what I would say is look back to God. And if you're aware of your shortcomings, I would say pray the prayer that we're going to see in this psalm. Psalm 143 verse 10 says this. Teach me to do your will for you are my God, your spirit is good, and lead me in the land of uprightness. I think that's the answer, church. I, I think when you say like, because here's the thing, I think being fearful, I think there's a, sin, there's a sin component to that. I think being doubtful and being worried and being anxious, I think there's a sin component to that. On the same note though, we're in troubling times. We're in worry-filled times. We're in times where anxiety is the appropriate response to any healthy individual whose emotions are actually healthy and in check. And so I would say to look at your anxiety and say, well, I'm just not saved. I think that's wrong. I think the right answer is like to say, God, you're not anxious, but I am. Teach me to be like you because in this element, I'm just not like you. And, and notice that, that I think God will meet us there. And we see David doing that. Teach me to do your will. I think it was David. I forget the context right now. Uh, but we see the psalmist doing that. And here's the thing. You don't pray, teach me to do your will, unless you're not doing his will. And so this person's aware of their sin. And instead of looking to their sin and going, wow, I'm just done. They go, I don't know how to overcome this, but God, you do. So teach me to overcome it because I'll only overcome it through you. Um, and, and I hope at any point during this, there's no kind of weirdness. There's no kind of doubts. There's no kind of, you know, like this is an easy thing to like look at the world right now and go, this sermon doesn't matter. But actually, I think this sermon is so pivotal um, because all the doubts and all the worries and all of our wonders about how should we interact as a church and what should I do? And is this right or is this wrong? And should I be going out or should I be staying home? But God says to gather in groups and we all have our doubts and we all have these things and I'm losing my job and what's Trump going to do and what's going on with politics and oh, what's China's ki acting kind of shady right now? No, maybe it's not. Oh, and Nancy Pelosi's killing it. No, Trump's killing it. No, they hate each other. Like what's going on? And I think it's so easy to get overwhelmed by these stacking things. And so I want to draw us back to the one thing that matters, and it's God. How, politics, who am I supposed to vote for? 
I'm not going to tell you. I, because I always ask that question every time that I, I've always doubted these kind of things. Who should I vote for? I don't know. God, teach me. God, who do you want to lead? Because you're going to make it happen either way. And so I want to be a part of that. God, what should I do about this coronavirus? Uh, should I go out today or should I stay home? Okay, I know the government's saying to stay home, but this person really needs food right now and I could go get that. So God, what do, pray on it. What is God calling you to do that day? Because he will guide you and he will direct you and he will take care of you. And as you study his word as well, his word will teach you just as well as his spirit will. And there's a ton of Bible verses about that. And one more verse I want to read you. Um, to kind of maybe start winding down a little bit is Philippians 1 6 uh, that says being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ that verse isn't dealing with God choosing you it's not dealing with your heart change it's dealing with everything after and he who has begun that work in you will be faithful to complete it and so when we begin to doubt our ability to live those good lives, I doubt the ability to live a Christ-centered life, to doubt the ability to live a holy life or a righteous life or a life that's free of sin for the most part. You don't realize it, but the way the Bible's structured is you're accidentally doubting God because the Bible says that it's His faithfulness that's going to complete that good work in us. And so ultimately, I think our shortcomings are supposed to be magnifying glasses that point us back to God. I think our doubts are supposed to be moments that draw us back to the God who's going to appease the doubts in our hearts. And I think the anger and the fear and the pride and the doubts and the tremblings and, and whatever it is that you're struggling with. And I don't know, maybe it's an addiction and maybe you're just apathetic and maybe you just don't care. Maybe you've been so beaten down, your emotions are just deadened and maybe you just can't be tender and you can't be loving and you can't be peaceful and you can't be kind. Whatever it is that you're going through, know that your answer isn't to work through it. Your answer is to go back to God and let him continue that work in you. It's to go pray. Listen, uh, we're hopefully streaming this uh, through this new um, uh, streaming platform. And there's a button you can click. And if you click it, it's going to say pray. And you're going to get taken to a separate uh, chat so other people can't see it. And our leaders are going to be there praying for you. Get prayer. But then don't leave that prayer and say, okay, they prayed for me. After this message... Well, I say go back and listen to that devotional, but then turn on some worship music. I mean, I know this, this message isn't going to be as long as a normal church service, so make your personal time as long as a normal church service. And, and go back to the God that's going to take care of you in the first place. Uh, go back to the God that's going to build these things in you, because again, that's on God. God's going to do it. He takes it personal because it's his promise, it's his spirit, it's his will, it's his leading, and it's his guiding. And just because I want to prove a point, I want to close on a single section of scripture. It's going to be Ezekiel 36, 25 to 28. And the reason why I want to end on this section of scripture is because I want you to know that before the Holy Spirit was ever at work in the lives of any people in mass, before God's church was on this earth, all back in time before Jesus died on the cross, God spoke that this would happen. This exact thing would happen. And so Ezekiel 36 25 to 28, I will sprinkle clean water on you and, I, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all of your idols, I will cleanse you. Again, are they cleansing themselves of their idols? No, God says, I will cleanse you of these things and I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you, again, not let you, he's going to cause you, he's going to do it, cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And I love this. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Ready? And you shall be my people and I will be your God. God is your God because he placed a new heart in you and caused you to be with him. He loves you. You matter. Your shortcomings, don't look to them. Look to him. What's going on externally in this world? I know it's easier said than done sometimes, but don't look to it. Look to him. You might want to maybe limit your amount of media exposure right now because it's just building fear. And, and again, I, I still look at the media. I'm still reading articles. I'm still watching when, when Trump comes out and talks. I'm still listening to some people talk about it. But I'm not listening and paying attention enough to be filled with fear. I'm not reading every conspiracy theorist post. And, and some people might, well, we need to know everything. I don't think you do. I think the Bible says to be ignorant to the things that are evil and be wise to the things that are good. And I think that um, when the world falls apart and when things aren't being done right and the church needs to rise up, the church will never rise up because they're looking at a broken world. We'll rise up because we're looking at the God who cares for the broken world. No matter, there was no excuse to shift your gaze from anything besides him. And if you feel like you've shifted, if you feel like you're looking to things that just don't stack up in relation to eternity, again, get prayer. Again, go and pray yourself as well. And realign your gaze back to the only person that's going to give you any kind of freedom. Church, God loves you. Church, you're significant. Church, God filled you with his spirit because he wanted you to walk with him. Church, he's not keeping mysteries from you. You can actually have full access to the truth of who he is. I love uh, Josh White in his um, song. It's called Enclosed by You. He says, how can I contain you when you contain everything? I think it's such a beautiful and poetic question. I contain the fullness of God in me. The God who has the whole universe in his hands, the fullness of him is within me. It's a grand and beautiful mystery. And you matter so much that that God it has a personal stake in you. It's because he cares. It's because he loves you. And any time of shortcoming you might feel, God is the only one that's going to help you overcome it. So go back to him. Focus back on him. Look to him because he loves you. I'm going to pray for you, um, and we're probably going to play some announcements. But church, I love you. Um, join me for devotionals. I'm doing it every, every day except for Sundays at 6.30 a.m. Uh, we're shooting to start doing worship Monday nights, so keep an eye on that. And we're doing uh, communion every Wednesday night, and we're doing uh, intercessory prayer. Jesse's going to come pray with you guys every Friday night. And to know that our church is making a very active step of being involved with you every day of the week. Because in these troubling times, no one should be alone or scared or isolated. Take advantage of this. Get closer with your community. Get closer with your God. And help those in need. Again, if you need help, please text help me to that number that's going to pop up on the screen. And guys, for real, we're starting to get to the point where we don't have as much to give as we have people needing. And so... Um, yeah, there are more people in need than we have things to give. I'm not sure if I said that right. Uh, so uh, if you have something, uh, I would really encourage you to pray and let God guide you, but I would encourage you to give. 
uh, to not save in fear, but to give in faith. Because um, I know that God's going to meet us. He's going to take care of us. Uh, don't let these scares about the economy uh, affect you because God's going to take care of his church one way or the other. And I'm not always promising financial blessings, uh, but I do promise you that you're going to follow the path God has for you. And so you might as well not do it kicking and screaming. You might as well do it with him, full of joy, full of love. Amen. Um, dear Lord in heaven, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. God, I thank you that we're going to learn that we matter. I thank you, God, that through these weeks and through these times of getting alone with you, that you're going to continue to teach us. You're going to continue to guide us. God, any worries or doubts or fears that we have bubbling up within our person, God, I thank you that you're going to quell those storms within us, that you're going to bring peace in those times and in those things, God, for you are good, that, God, you have a personal interest in all of us. And, God, I thank you because I would be nowhere good without the goodness of who you are. I thank you that nothing good comes from anywhere else but from above. And God, I thank you for the good in my life and all the lives of the people listening to this, God. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you that we couldn't do this without you, God. I thank you that I need you, God. I thank you that you keep me on the track with you because God, I don't know if I'd stand strong if it wasn't for you keeping me where you've called me to be. God, I thank you that you're my strength. I thank you that you're my purpose and I thank you that you're my focus, Lord. And I pray that we would all feel that same way, Lord. And in Jesus' name I say, Amen. Have a blessed week, church.